Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. Hey, good morning and welcome to Miami Valley Church. My name is Pastor Jed and we have heard so many good things about these signs going out in the neighborhoods, whether it's conversations that have been had or even neighbors who want them in their yard. And so as a church, we want to equip you with as many ways and resources to share Jesus right where you are. Be on the lookout in the next coming weeks for some for some new and upcoming ideas that we have on how to share Jesus right in your neighborhood as we want to make him known right here in this valley. As we continue in our series, Make Jesus Known, Dr. Cox is going to show us how Jesus is all throughout Scripture. But before we do that, check out one more way of how we can trust the Lord and do good. Count of three when children open the shoe boxes, they're so excited. I mean, it's just been incredible. Kids are so excited, giving them a gift, do it in Jesus' name, and that's what this is all about. Jesus loves you. It's a gospel opportunity. It's the chance for the children to change the entire life. The word of God is spreading. The gospel is advancing. It is impacting children. It is impacting families. It is impacting the world greatly. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. God will bless and God will use your gift to touch the life of a child and to be able to do it in Jesus' name. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless each and every one of you. How are things going for you right now? Pretty calm, pretty steady, no problems, got everything figured out. You, you've hit your new normal, uh, life's great, works good, kids in school, everything's perfectly fine, pretty stress-free, or is it exactly the opposite? Maybe I could ask you the question a different way. Um, where are you in your relationship to Jesus right now as compared to one year ago? Uh, maybe I should be a little more specific. Where are you right now in your relationship to Jesus as compared to seven months ago when COVID hit and everything just began to spin and we started to look for what's going to be the new normal? Between the pandemic and a political season that's filled with strife and turmoil and racial injustice and uh, an economy that people are concerned about, I continue to see two voices that are prominent the voice of hate and the voice of hype. And I don't know about you, but I don't like either of those voices because I think God's called us to be something else. I think he's called us to be the voice of hope. And so how do we become a voice of hope? We do that 
as we come to know Jesus for who he really is and to know him as he's revealed to us uh, in the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be a person and I want us to be a church that takes our marching orders from the good news and not from the world news, that, that comes to understand that we are called to be a voice of hope, to trust the Lord and do good in a world that's filled with bad. And so how do we really do that? And so we've decided to be asking God this question, God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? And while we're still asking God for specifics, we're starting to see some clarity. And one of the things is clarity is that we're just supposed to make Jesus known. We're supposed to make him known and we make him known as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. One of the things we're finding as we started last week through this series is that Jesus is revealed to us in every page of the scripture. In fact, there he is right before the very first letter of the scripture, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So I hope you have your New Living Translation because as we go through this series, we're using the New Living Translation. Hope you've got something to take notes because you thought we covered a lot of ground last week in the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to cover the next 12 books, the historical books, and we're asking the question, where is Jesus in the scriptures? We're doing what Jesus did and not doing it nearly as well as he could. And in fact, I'm looking forward to that time in heaven when we get to hear Jesus open up the scriptures and explain to us everything concerning himself. And I think that's going to be one of the joys of heaven to get Jesus, the very word of God, to teach us the word of God. And so, but we're doing what, trying to do what Jesus did in Luke chapter 24. This is explaining to disciples who are sad everything concerning himself in the scriptures, beginning with Moses and concerning all the law and the prophets. So last week we left you with this out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. God says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Now I call on heaven and earth as a witness to you. The choice you make, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And so we begin to investigate the scriptures. And every place we investigate the scriptures, we see one recurring theme. It occurs in almost every book of the Bible. It's this theme that we saw last week that God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage to the land of promise. That theme of redemption, that theme, theme of deliverance, that theme of, of how God is our rescuer and how he redeems us. And again, we see it. Just let me encourage you to jot these down and you can just look at these for some of the references. Joshua 24, 16 and 17. 17, Judges 6, 7, 8, 9, 2 Samuel 7, 23, Jeremiah 34, 13, Hosea 13, 4. As you'll begin to see almost in every book of the scripture, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who delivered you from bondage and took you to the land of freedom. Now we find the historical books from, from Judges, uh, from Joshua, I'm sorry, from Joshua, uh, to Esther, uh, 12 books, and these historical books provide a succession of, of snapshots to how God's people choose either life or death, blessing or curse, how they ha interact with the covenant relationship they have with God, how they either uh, enjoy its blessings or they endure his curses because they refuse to obey him. And so we want to see where Jesus is in all of these books. So let's start uh, in the book of Joshua. God's people have been poised on the land of uh, just on the other side of the Jordan River and they're ready to take occupation of the land that God has promised and Moses can't lead them in and God raises up a new a leader and his name is Joshua. In the book of Joshua, uh, we see Jesus just by the name of the book. 
Um, the name Joshua is the Hebrew name Yahshua, which means God saves. It's the same as the Greek word Jesus. It's it's the same word, just from a different different language. It means the exact same thing. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. So when you ask, uh, where is Jesus in the book of Joshua, it'd be like asking, where is Jesus in the book of Jesus? Because he's there from the very start. He's there in the name. You remember Joshua, as he leads the people across the land, he, he had some battles. Maybe the most famous battle is the is the battle at Jericho. Remember, they, they marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. Yeah, that's this Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, it says this, When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take, your, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. In the book of Joshua, we find the one who rescues, the one who saves. And we find him as the commander of the Lord's army. I believe this is Jesus. It sounds very familiar, right? It's what, what was spoken to Moses out of the burning bush. Take off your sandals. I think that was Jesus speaking to Moses. But here is the commander of the Lord's armies, we find that, that Jesus is the one who, who leads his people into the place of freedom. Jesus is the one who leads his people into the place of rest, and we find that in the life of Joshua. One of the other things I want you to see from Joshua is just a story of salvation, how Jesus is the Savior, and it, we find it in the story of Rahab as, as God's as, God's people sent spies into the land. They they found an unlikely person named Rahab who who became uh, their help as they entered into the land of promise. And you see from Rahab the full gospel story. Uh, she pictures how a sinner comes to Christ. She was unholy and she lived in a condemned city. She believed in the power of God. She believed in the promises of God's messengers. She displayed the the symbol of. Of, of God's people, of God's message of her faith, the red cord, which is a picture again of redemption, and her deliverance was complete. It's the story of salvation there in the book of Joshua because Jesus is the one who saves. He's the commander of the Lord's armies. You see Jesus and Joshua, here he is. He's the greater Joshua who leads his people to rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people into the ultimate rest, into the ultimate promise. And every promise that we have in God is yes in Christ Jesus. But did you see what Joshua did when Jesus spoke to him? He said, he fell on his face and he said, what do you want your servant to do? And he did exactly as he's told. Jesus is the greater Joshua and he's the one that surrendered to the power of, of, of Christ. And so I want us to be uh, the kind of people who hear Jesus speak and who surrender. So Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people under rest. The next book is the book of Judges. And, and this is just a, a period after they've entered into the land and they've settled in for a while. The scripture and judges say that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there's this vicious cycle in the book of Judges. And the, the cycle goes like this. It goes, the people sin, usually in the form of uh, worshiping another idol, idolatry. And then there's punishment. And the punishment usually comes for their sin in the form of being... Uh, oppressed by an enemy. After they're oppressed by an enemy, after a while, they, they repent. That's the third stage in the cycle where they repent and they call out for a rescuer and a deliverer. They ask for forgiveness and they humble themselves in front of God. It leads to the fourth stage that God brings 
along deliverance in the form of a judge. Now, judge, don't think a gavel and robe. I need you to think a leader. I need you to think governor. I need you to think military leader before the king was in place. These are the people that God raises up. Listen to what Joshua Judges 3, 9 says. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. Every time they cried out for help, God's God raised up a rescuer to help them. The judge who usually gets the most attention is Samson. And as we look at Samson, I, I just want you to see some comparisons, some similarities between uh, Jesus and Samson. Both had a miraculous birth announced by an angel. They were God's chosen deliverer before birth of Samson. It said in Judges 13, he will lead uh, in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines of Jesus, it said in Matthew 1, she'll give birth to a son, give him the name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. They're both empowered by the Spirit of God. Judges 14 says this, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. Jesus says in Matthew 12, the Spirit of the Lord, and Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Um, and he says, it's by the Spirit of the Lord that I drive out demons and the kingdom of God's come upon you. Matthew chapter 12. They both defeated God's enemies. They both were betrayed by money. Samson was betrayed by Delilah. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. They're both bound and beaten. We both find that in their death, they found victory. Referring to Samson, Judges 16 says this, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And Jesus's death is exactly different. He saved many more and gave them life from his death. Um, referring to Jesus says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus, my friends, is the greater judge who leads his people to victory. And so he's the greater uh, Joshua who leads his people into freedom. He's the greater judge who leads his people into victory. And then you get to the book of Ruth. By the way, when it comes to Jesus and the judges, remember the cycle, sin, punishment, repentance. Jesus came preaching a 17-word message. The time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. It's the message that you and I, because we fall into that same cycle. Just let me tell you, Jesus is the one who has the power to break the cycle of sin, and you can be his and his forever by putting your faith and trust in him. Leads us then to the book of Ruth, the story. And I know I'm moving fast through these, and you might not understand these stories because you're not familiar. As Jesus is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, they know the stories, and so if you're unfamiliar with the stories, next year we're going to go back and we're going to dig into these stories, but don't wait. Start reading the scriptures for yourself. Listen, let me challenge you again. Listen to the entire Bible from now until the end of the year. You can get through it, I promise you, and it'll make, it will familiarize yourself, and then some of these things might help you understand to see Jesus. But the next story is the story in the book of Ruth. It's the story of redemption. 23 times in the book of Ruth, the Hebrew root for redeem is used. This is the story of redemption, and it's lived out by what is known as the kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz, the closest living male relative who had the duty to preserve the family name and, and to purchase the land. And so in Boaz, we see that his adoption of Ruth looks forward to Christ's adoption of you and me. In Boaz, we see that his redemption, that he pays the price for the land that Ruth is going to live, and he looks forward to our redemption in Christ. Just listen to Galatians chapter 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law. That's redemption so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. It's the story of redemption as seen in Boaz and Ruth. And so in the book of Ruth, 
Jesus is the greater Boaz who's done all that is necessary to redeem and adopt us into his family. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says this, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Ruth, he's the greater Boaz who redeems us, who adopts us, and has provided everything necessary for us to be members of his family. And then we get into the period that's known as the United Kingdom, 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel, uh, it's really a book. It's about three men. It's about Samuel. It's about Saul. And it's about David. The, the, the book opens up, however, as, as Samuel's born to a mom who had been barren, and she'd been praying for him. And once he's born, he, she takes him to the temple. And in the temple, uh, there's just an evil and a wicked priest who's there who doesn't understand and really doesn't even know the voice of God anymore. And so in Samuel, we, we begin to see this story unfold. Listen to what it says about Samuel. Where do you see Jesus in Samuel? First Samuel chapter 2, 26. The boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and favor with all the people. Does that sound familiar? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 is exactly what Luke writes about Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with men. Jesus is seen there in Samuel. Samuel is the last of the judges, and he's really kind of the first of the prophets, and he understands what the priesthood is supposed to be about. Listen, first Samuel chapter 2, verse 35, God speaks, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and he will walk before my anointed ways. And the priesthood that had turned wrong. Jesus, we see in the book of Samuel, is the greater priest who understands what it means to truly offer grace and mercy, to, to be the one who's acceptable in front of God. Hebrews chapter 4, so then, since we have a great high priest who's entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, firm, hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Unlike any other human priest that ever existed, Jesus did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's just the amazing grace of God, the priest, we find Jesus, the greater priest who understands what we need, who understands how we're tempted, and he offers us mercy and grace to meet our every need. There's Jesus in the book of 1 Samuel. One other thing I want you to see from 1 Samuel, Samuel goes about and he anoints the first two kings of Israel. He anoints Saul, who becomes a wicked king, and then he anoints David. And as he anoints David and he goes to choose David, God speaks something powerful into Saul's heart. He says this, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see the things you, the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What a powerful word for the great high priest. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He offers grace and mercy. He delves in and he looks at the heart. My friends, he's looking at your heart. Maybe we would do a better job if we would start to look at the heart of one another instead of looking at outward appearance only. I want to be people of hope and who don't just settle in for the hype and the hate. So then we get to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel also corresponds to the book of 1 Chronicles. They, they go together. There are two uh, different accounts of the same story. And in 2 Samuel, we begin, if, if, if in 1 Samuel, he's the, he's the greater priest who knows how to offer us a mercy and grace. And in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, he's the greater king who will sit on David's throne forever. 2 Samuel 7, 16, this is the promise of God to David. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. 
one of the places where we kind of check out, especially when we read First Chronicles, is that it's filled with genealogies. And it goes back and it traces the genealogy of David. It's looking, it focuses in really on two, two tribes. It focuses in on the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi. It's trying to identify the royal and the priestly lines of Israel. It's exactly what happens in Matthew as he gives us a genealogy. But Matthew's genealogy reveals what the chronicler's genealogy can't. It reveals Jesus. It reveals who he is, the true king, the true priest, the one who loves us. He is the greater king who will sit on David's throne forever. And that's the promise. Matthew, again, Matthew chapter one, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It traces back. And so there in the book of Second Samuel and First Chronicles, we find Jesus in the genealogy. Now we get to First Kings and Second Chronicles, chapters one through twenty, and this is where we're going to spend some time. In Second in First Kings and in, in Second Chronicles, chapters one through twenty, it's about the temple. It's about King Solomon during the United uh, Kingdom building the temple. First Kings chapter five verse five, Solomon says, "I'm planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God." Second Chronicles two verse five, this magnificent temple that I am going to build will be great because our God is greater than all the other gods. It's the picture of the temple. And the temple system, as it was developed and plays out, the temple was a place where, where God would dwell in the Holy of Holies. It was a place where heaven intersected earth. But what the temple system visually dem- demonstrated was the separation between God and man, that God and man were separate, that only one person was able to go into the Holy of Holies and represent mankind to God. And, and there was just this separation. But the temple became something that was never meant to be. Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem at the last Passover, is going to go into the temple and he's going to get mad and he's going to turn things upside down and um, he's going to look at it and he's going to say, uh, my father's house was supposed to be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. It's turned into something that was never supposed to be. This temple isn't what God intended for it to be. And the religious leaders get mad at Jesus and Jesus, and and they kind of criticize him. And Jesus says, okay, fine, feel that way. But if you destroy this temple, I'll build it back up in three days. And they're like, how could you do this? This has taken forever to build. And Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. And so what we see in the book of First Kings and Second Chronicles, chapters one through 20, we see Jesus, but Jesus becomes the mobile temple instead of a, a, picture that represents the separation of God from man. Jesus is the temple that brings God to man, that Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood in a world where the temple represents what uh, the only thing people had left, that it was the center of their religious universe, but they turned the temple into something it was never meant to be. Jesus comes and he sets things straight. And what he wants us to understand is that Jesus is supposed to be at the center of life. No building, nothing else, but Jesus is supposed to be at the center. Uh, Ephesians 2.13 says this, but now Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. My friends, I just need you to see as you look at the temple in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you begin to see that Jesus is the greater temple who must be the center of our lives. Friends, one of the things COVID has taught us in this period of disruption and not just an interruption is, is that we don't have to go to a temple or to a building to find God. 
Our church buildings are not sacred spaces where God resides. He isn't in a box to keep tied up or located in one place. A church becomes sacred not because of a building. A church becomes sacred because the Spirit of God comes to live inside the people of God, and the people of God are the people who are the church. It is not sacred space that makes our weekend gathering sacred. It is the Spirit of God living inside each and every one of us as we gather together, yes, even virtually, even electronically, the Spirit of God is present with us, and we are the church. And I shared with you during this COVID season, as we think about Jesus being the greater temple, that maybe our question needs to be no longer, uh, how soon can we get back in a church building? But our question ought to be, how quickly can we build the church that takes God to the people like Jesus did? Jesus is the greater temple who must be at the center of our lives. Then we get to 2 Kings and then 2 Chronicles 21 through 36. Again, they tell the same story just from a little different point of view. And this is the story about the greater prophet, the greater prophet. 2 Kings 17, 13, again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah, turn from all your evil ways, obey my commands and decrees, the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. In 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, the last half of 2 Chronicles, Jesus, we see Jesus as the greater prophet who provides more than we could ever imagine. The two prophets that we see in this section of scripture more than others are the prophets Elijah and the prophet Elisha. And they both reflect uh, a picture of Jesus's ministry. The prophet Elijah reflects Jesus's ministry uh, to the the children of Israel. Uh, It's reflected in his in his way that he goes through uh, the temple. Elisha's ministry is a reflection of Jesus's ministry to every human being, to show compassion, to show tenderness, to show helpfulness. Elisha the prophet, he does a couple of miracles, and one of the miracles he does is he, he brings a, a woman's son back to life. Elisha the prophet, he, he takes bread and he blesses it and he feeds, but Elisha the prophet took 20 loaves of bread and fed 100 people. Jesus takes a whole lot less and feeds a whole lot more, and he doesn't just do it once, he does it twice. Jesus is the greater prophet who provides more than can ever be imagined. And then we move into the last section of this scripture, the the historical book, Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Esther. In, in this section, God's people hadn't obeyed, and so because they hadn't obeyed, after the united kingdom, there becomes a divided kingdom, and after the divided kingdom, uh, because they hadn't obeyed the laws of the Lord, like was told in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I've set before you today life and death, blessings and curse, choose life. If you don't choose life, you're gonna have have uh, curses. And part of the curse was that they were sent off into exile, the northern kingdom of Israel, sent off into exile in 722 as it's conquered by the Assyrians, the, the southern kingdom taken off into uh, Babylonian captivity as the Babylonians captured Jerusalem in, in 586 BC and they're taken off. And there are no historical books that talk about the, the time of exile. We find that information in other places we'll talk about later. But what we do find is that there's a return from exile. And there are four returns under Ezra and Nehemiah and those two books of the Bible as God's people come back in and, and God uses Ezra as he spends time studying God's word. And he uses Nehemiah as he spends time praying and, and putting on their hearts what he wants them to do to rebuild his city. And so in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see God as the greater restorer who's building his church from ruined stones. And Jesus himself, the scriptures say, becomes the chief cornerstone that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not, will not stand against it. And then very quickly in the book of Esther, the book of Esther, uh, it's a very interesting book, maybe one of the oddest books in all of the scripture, but I think it falls into this this uh, return from exile period, return from captivity. Um, Esther, 
uh, is an unlikely candidate who God chooses to do an unlikely thing to save his people from destruction and save his people from being wiped out on the face of the earth. And so as you read the story of Esther, it becomes what the Jewish people, our Jewish friends celebrate during the Feast of Purim. It's the Feast of Casting Lots, and we see that lots are cast. But there's this interesting thing that happens. Esther 9.22, he told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness by giving of gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This will commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned to gladness and their mourning into joy. In this passage, we see that that's what Jesus does, that that God through Jesus wants to continue to pick unlikely people to do amazing. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses the natural to do the supernatural. And so as, as Esther is in this place and she doesn't understand it, two things I want you to see from chapter four. First of all, uh, uh, they look at Esther and say, Esther, I know you don't want to do this, but what if God's put you here for such a time as this? And Esther's like, okay, if God's put me here for such a time of this, if I die, I die. She just went out and she was obedient to do what God said for her to do. The interesting thing that happens in the book of Esther is this. God's name is nowhere mentioned in this book. And so you wonder, if God's name isn't mentioned, where is Jesus found? I believe that in John chapter 5, Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Purim. And I believe that we can gain from that, that that this feast uh, matters. But more than that, in the book of Esther, what we see is that Jesus is the greater name that is to be worshipped and celebrated. Jesus is the greater name, even though his name isn't mentioned. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took on the humble position of a slave and being born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, uh, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the name that is above every name, and he's the name that needs to be mentioned. He's the greater name that's to be worshiped and to be celebrated. And we do that as we as we give our gifts to one another, as we give our gifts to the poor. It's just what Jesus did. Think about what Jesus said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's, he's brought me to, to proclaim freedom to the captive, uh, uh, release for the prisoners. It's just how God would have us to live. My friends, I believe that like Esther, we're called to now for such a time as this, to be God's people who worship and celebrate his name, who live our lives for his glory and who confess him as Lord. And maybe like Esther, we need to say, if our time is now, we don't know what's going to happen. If I die, I die, but I'm going to go out doing what God has called me to do, worshiping the greater name. So here we go one last time. And these historical books, these 12 historical books, Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people to rest. He's the greater judge who leads his people to victory. He's the greater Boaz who's done all that is necessary to redeem and adopt us as his children. He's the greater priest who understands our every trial and temptation and offers us grace and mercy. He's the greater king who sits on David's throne forever. He's the greater temple who must be the center of our lives and we must worship him. He's the greater prophet who must proclaim the good news in his name. He's the greater restorer who's building his church for his glory from ruined stones, himself being the chief cornerstone stone and he's the greater name who's to be worshiped and celebrated all the days of our life for such a time as this what does that mean what about here now well i just want you to know as you think about this some of you are just feeling like you're in that cycle of sin 
of punishment. You haven't repented. You wonder if God could love you. You might think that God's disillusioned with you. The story of the historical books tell us this, that God is not disillusioned with you because he had no illusions to begin with. He knows that we're human. He loved us as we were, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. That's the story of the historical book, the one who is greater, and I hope that you'll worship him. My friends, I want to encourage you to get into the scriptures. I want to encourage you to spend time. When Jesus talked to the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had left their presence, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Every time you get into God's word, that's what ought to happen. Your heart ought to burn within you because Jesus has opened up and revealed himself in the scriptures and pointed you to be more like him. And then they said, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. When God speaks his word into our hearts and it burns within us, we can't help but go out for such a time as this and share his love and show his love to those who are around us in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our communities and across the world. Here's the challenge. My friends, I want you to spend time in the word of God. Don't examine them because you think that the scriptures will give you life. Examine them because that in the scriptures, they will point you to Jesus. Joshua chapter one, Joshua says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all of you do. Ezra seven, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, to teach his statutes and its ordinances in Israel. Would you do that today? Would you set your heart to study the law, to practice it, and to teach it to somebody else? Father, thank you for the historical books of the scripture that point us to Jesus, the one who is greater. And God, I ask that we would do what you would have us to do, that we would set our heart to study your law, to practice it, and to teach it to someone else. God, that we would share and show the love of Jesus as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. Father, you want to use ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. You put us here for such a time as this. God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? And how can we do it now, today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are not hidden there's never been a moment you were forgotten You were not hopeless Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS. And I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. There is no distance. Cannot be covered over and over You're not defenseless I'll be your shelter, I'll be your armor I hear you whisper underneath your breath 
hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. he calling you to trust him today maybe it simply starts with the prayer god how would you have me love and share jesus right here in my neighborhood maybe it's someone that you need to have a conversation with a direct neighbor maybe it's someone god is putting on your heart you just need to reach out to and say hey i am praying for you today don't wait let's be obedient and step out in faith and see what god can do through us. Let's go out and love and share Jesus right here in this valley and make him known.